Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Talking Mopars, episode number 172. This is a continuation of our High Performance Heritage mini-series on the Shelby Dodge era. This episode focuses on the Omni GLHS. So, without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. The Shelby GLHS was a limited production series of two sport compact automobiles from the mid-1980s. The main differentiator of these cars from their regular Dodge versions was their use of what would become the intercooled turbo 2 engine, as well as the Shelby Centurion wheels, Coney adjustable shocks and struts, and changes to the alignment. In 1986, the Shelby Omni GLHS was a modified Dodge Omni GLH, with changes made at the Shelby factory. They were retitled as Shelby Automobiles, and these cars were sold at select Dodge dealerships. GLH stood for Goes Like Hell, and GLHS stood for Goes Like Hell some more. Just 500 of these cars were made, and dash plaques using a three-digit serial number system were installed on the dashboard. The Turbo 1 engine was modified with pre-production pieces from what would become the Turbo 2 inline-4 engine. These changes included an intercooler plus other changes to produce 175 horsepower and a flat 170 foot-pounds of torque. Not included were any of the durability changes to the short block, forged crank, full floating pin, stouter connecting rods, etc. of the 1987 Chrysler Turbo 2 engine. Luckily, the Shelby engines have proved to be reliable even without the durability enhancements of the production Turbo 2. Performance was impressive, with just 6.5 seconds needed for 0-60 to 60 miles an hour and 14 eighths for the quarter mile, and the top speed was 135 miles an hour. Shelby Automobiles received the first T2 induction pieces prior to Dodge and Chrysler and installed them on the 500 GLH cars that shipped to the Whittier factory. Engine mods included the new T2 fuel rail, T2 injectors, wiring harness, larger throttle body, bigger turbo, tuned intake and exhaust manifolds, intercooler radiator and fan assemblies, induction hoses, T2 airbox, GLHS-specific logic module, a Shelby windshield decal, and graphics package. There was a Dodge emblem left on in production. A black-slash-yellow overlay sticker was placed at the bottom of the speedometer to read 135 miles an hour. A Momo leather-wrapped shifter knob, Izumi leather-wrapped steering wheel, and shift pattern sticker were also installed. A Use Mobile One as recommended in Shelby GLHS owner's manual plaque was affixed to the front of the standard production valve cover. The primary differences between the Shelby engine and the Chrysler Turbo 2 engine are the torque. Shelby's unique engine computer shaved the torque to save the stock Omni transaxle. 
Chrysler Turbo 2 engines had 200 pound-feet of torque, the tri-metal bearings, forged crank, and extra oil passages were not present, and the wiring harness is a conglomeration of the original Turbo 1 with splicings for the heated oxygen sensor. In SCCA solo competition, it was never allowed a place in the stock categories because it failed to meet the required 1,000 unit a year production quota. It also was significantly faster in the quarter mile than the Chevrolet Camaro with the 305 V8, Pontiac's Firebird and Trans Am with the 305 V8, and pre-1987 302 V8 Mustangs, and equal or slightly faster than the 1987-1993 to V8 Ford Mustangs and Corvettes. One of the most popular performance upgrades for these vehicles is the Mopar Performance Stage 2 computer, also known as the Logic Module. This increased the boost to 14.7 PSI under wide open throttle, and output was raised to a claimed 205 horsepower and 246 pound-feet of torque. Another popular mod was the Super 60 kit, which was named so because at full output, the fuel pump as part of this kit could pump 60 gallons per hour. It included a computer, fuel pump, injectors, turbocharger, and camshaft. The fuel injectors were highly sought after by not only GLHS and later on SRT4 owners, but for Corvette, Camaro, and Mustang owners because they were far better than anything that was offered on the market and were a direct fit. The 1987 Charger GLHS was based on the 1987 Shelby Charger. Shelby Automobiles purchased the last 1,000 Chargers built, and they were shipped to the Whittier factory for modification. Shelby modified the Charger using the same pieces as the 1986 GLHS, with some changes. The differences included a non-EGR turbo, Shelby valve cover, wider Shelby windshield decal, different and more extensive tape graphics, no reference to Dodge on the outer body, a black slash white Speedo overlay, a four-digit serial numbering system on the dash plaque, and a wider Mobile One plaque installed on the radiator support, and of course, the Shelby Centurion 2 wheels. There you go, my friends. That was the latest installment of the High Performance Heritage mini-series of the Shelby Dodge era, and I think I want to talk about a badass truck on the next mini-episode, and that truck is the Shelby Dakota. So we'll see you right here next time on Talking Mopar's High Performance Heritage, the Shelby Dodge era. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about this show, you know where to go, TalkingMopars.com. And that's it. <laughs> that's all I'm talking about today, folks. I know what you're thinking. Chris, what is going on? You have not been producing episodes like you were in the past. We want Talking Mopars back. We want it back to the way it was. Why can't you produce episodes like you were before? It's killing us out here. And friends... Trust me, I get it, and I could sit here and feed you excuses, but the fact of the matter is, this new job is really kicking my ass. <laughs> uh, I'm now in management, and I have no set schedule, so I am burned every day, and my weekends are spent largely with my family, so it's been really tough to get in here and crank out episodes the way I used to, but I promise, <laughs> and I know I say that a lot, but I promise Hopefully, we can get things back on track and get back to regularly produced episodes. I'm starting to get used to the new job, starting to get my time management under control. So hopefully, we can get that squared away and then bring back Talking Mopars the way it should be. So until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars.
Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.